Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we don't take lightly that you've chosen to listen to Open Your Eyes, and we feel a responsibility to bring messages to this podcast that can make a real difference for you. This podcast is intended to help you and me see ourselves, our life, and circumstances in a new light. So, as you listen today, we hope you get a new view of you and your potential to lead and live better. And when you're done listening today, copy the link to this podcast and send it to someone who needs a little encouragement in their life. A few words and a new perspective can make a big difference for them as well. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about becoming a person of grace. Do you know what the largest organized youth sports program is in the world? Little League Baseball. And like most boys, when I was 12 years old, I played Little League Baseball. And it's remarkable because I remember more about my years in Little League than just about any other team I played for in my life. My Little League coaches were two remarkable men who were passionate about baseball and loved teaching boys the basics of the game. Now, I didn't have older brothers who played baseball, so when I stepped on the field for my first year of Little League, I was afraid of the ball. But coach taught me to keep my head down and to stay down on the ball rather than sticking my glove out and trying to stay as far away from the ball as possible. And to do this, he put me at third base and started to hit ground balls in my direction. And each time, he would tell me to get down and watch the ball go into my glove. Now, several times, due to a weird bounce, the ball missed my glove and hit me. And I soon realized that the ball could hit me, and I was still okay. And there was no need to be afraid of the ball. This and other lessons, my coaches taught me, and they helped me to love baseball and have confidence in my abilities to play. And it was one of the most confidence-building experiences of my life. Little League Baseball is a nonprofit organization based in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and it was founded in 1939. And until 1973, Little League was restricted to boys only. But since 1974, girls can and do participate. When I played, we had girls on our team. And each year, the Little League World Series championships are held in the eastern United States. Initially, only teams from the U.S. competed, but soon teams from all over the world vie for the winner's trophy. From 69 to 91, teams from Taiwan won the series 15 out of 23 years. From 2010 to 17, Teams from Japan won five of seven years. Now, in the summer months leading up to the tournament, little leagues around the world select an all-star team made up of the best players in their local little league. And these all-star teams then compete in district, regional, and divisional tournaments to earn the right to play in the World Series. And just this year, the tournament welcomed 20 teams to play in the series. Now, over the years, There have been some amazing stories come out of the Little League World Series. In 1957, a team from Monterey, Mexico, played in the championship game against La Mesa, California. The players from Mexico averaged a short 4 feet 11 inches in height and a slight 92 pounds in weight. And when they walked on the field, no one expected these tiny boys to win. It didn't even look like they were in the same league as their opponents. 
But their pitcher, an ambidextrous boy named Angel, pitched a perfect game, striking out 11 batters, and they won 4-0. to In 1971, Lloyd McClendon, who would go on to be a professional baseball player, hit five home runs in the tournament in five at-bats, and he was intentionally walked in his remaining five at-bats. In 1982, an underdog team from Kirkland, Washington, beat Taiwan and snapped Taiwan's 31-game winning streak. In that game, Cody Webster pitched a two-hitter and hit the longest home run in Little League history. The announcer, Jim McKay, said it was the greatest moment in the history of Little League. Well, those are a few good stories, but they're not the greatest moments in Little League history by my book. Let me share a few of the greatest moments as I would define them. On September 11, 2001, at 8.54 a.m., from the firehouse on East 2nd Street, Ladder Company Number 11, a phone call was made to the Camerata family from their youngest son, Michael. Michael was a brand new firefighter. He left a message on his father's voicemail stating, I'm going to the World Trade Center. A plane just hit it. Just tell everyone I'm all right. And those were the last words he said to his family. He was 22 years old. Now, Michael was a phenomenal athlete. He loved to play ice hockey and baseball, and he played in the Little League World Series in 1991. His team was from South Shore, New York. And while he loved baseball, he did go on to become an MVP in his hockey league in senior high school and played hockey in college. And after college, he took the New York Fireman's Test in which he got a perfect score. He was sworn into duty on March 3rd, 2001, and served for only a few months before his bravery cost him his life on 9-11. That is one of baseball's greatest moments. In 1984, Victoria Roche was the first girl to play in the World Series. She was an outfielder from Brussels, Belgium. Most recently, in 2021, Ella Bruning played catcher on a team from Abilene, Texas. In her six at-bats, she went two for six with one run and one RBI. But the magic happened before the game started. The ceremonial first pitch was thrown out by Monet Davis, a Little League pitcher who pitched in the 2014 Little League World Series. And it was a perfect moment seeing the last girl to pitch in a series throw the ball to the first girl to play catcher in a series. And these two girls were playing pitch and catch as they linked generations of girls together who love to play the game of baseball. But my favorite story of Little League World Series happened just a few weeks ago. The championship game of the Southwest Regional Playoff was being played in Waco, Texas. The pitcher, Caden Shelton, from Pearland, Texas, was a tall, strong pitcher, and he was facing a smaller yet capable batter, Isaiah Jarvis of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, this happens often in Little League. The difference in size and maturity of some of the boys is striking. And this was, by the way, a high-stakes game. With Caden pitching, he had a chance to make history because the winner of the game would go on to play in the World Series at Williamsport. Now, before the game, the Oklahoma players had been coached on the fact that Caden had a strong arm and a very effective curveball. So they practiced hitting the curve to be prepared for his pitching. And when Isaiah stepped up to bat, he was watching for the curveball, and Caden wound up and threw a pitch. But instead of hitting the strike zone, Caden's pitch went straight for Isaiah's head. And Isaiah, expecting the pitch to curve, was slow to react, and the pitch hit him squarely in the head, knocking off his helmet 
and leaving him lying in the dirt. Now, immediately, the coaches ran out to the plate to see if Isaiah was injured. After a few minutes, it was apparent that Isaiah was going to be okay. And as Isaiah got up and walked to first base, Caden, the pitcher, broke down in tears. He was shaken up, and he stood on the pitcher's mound crying with his head bowed and his hands covering his eyes. Perhaps Caden knew he could throw hard and was obviously worried that he had seriously hurt Isaiah. Now, that's when something amazing happened. Isaiah stepped off of first base, walked to the pitcher's mound, wrapped his arms around the pitcher, hugged him, and let him know that he was all right. Isaiah later said, I wanted to go over there and spread God's love and make sure that Caden was okay and make sure that he knows I'm okay and that I'll be okay. While on the pitcher's mound, he told Caden, hey, you're doing great. There on that day at the regional finals, two 12-year-old boys with the game on the line put aside their own aspirations and demonstrated the type of grace and sportsmanship that's lacking in so many professional sports played by grown men today. Isaiah later told CNN, if you're throwing hard and you just hit someone in the head, it's got to be a scary thing. So I just wanted to go over there and make sure he knows that I'm all right. I just really wanted to encourage him. Well, Isaiah and his Tulsa team would lose to Pearl Land 9-4. Now, I don't know if you've been hit in the head lately by a baseball, but if that's what it takes to help inspire you or me to follow Isaiah's example and show a bit more grace in our life, then it might be worth it. Grace is so easy to extend, but so often withheld. And I've noticed that those who learn to be gracious, leaders who lead with grace, and people who live a grace-filled life find that life, like this Little League baseball game, takes on an entirely different flavor. Grace inspires, motivates, and encourages. And grace is often hard to define, but we know it when we see it. And it reminds us that leadership starts with the leader, but it's never about the leader. As one author said, leadership is found at the intersection of grit and grace. So knowing that, let's discuss how we can lead more and lead better with grace. Now, before we do, just a reminder, this podcast is focused on helping us get a new view of how to think and live better. And based on the core concept that we all have a belief window, a lens through which we not only see the world, but interpret our place in the world, then we can conclude that it's our view that guides our actions. And when we open our eyes and see that we are here on this earth to give grace, because we are the recipients of grace, when we have that view on our belief window, a lot of things change. We begin not worrying so much about ourselves, we lead with more gratitude, and we become better leaders as a result. You know, one author described it this way. For most of us, taking a walk is easy. The challenge comes when we look behind us and realize that people are following us. And the funny thing is, in life, we leave markers on our path. And these signposts or markers can be signs like arrogance or entitlement, or they can be signs like humility and service. The scripture says, set up road signs, put up guideposts. Mark well the path by which you came. Now, ever since I read this quote, it stuck with me. You see, we're all walking a path in life, 
And if we've chosen well, others will follow. And what are you leaving behind for them along this path? Is it an example of how to be a person of grace? Are you leaving signs of encouragement? Are you making it about their journey instead of yours? Are there signs of kindness, signs of no judgment, and signs of hope? You see, grace has many dimensions. It's not easily defined, but we're going to explore for a minute some of the characteristics of grace and talk about what happens to us when we become people of grace. In early 1992, the presidential campaign in the United States was heating up. And after an ugly primary season, embattled Bill Clinton was taking on not one, but two candidates, the incumbent president, George Bush, and the independent candidate, Ross Perot. And the campaign was nastier than most, with critics taking shots at George Bush for not holding the line on taxes and appearing weak, and blaming him for the poor economy. Some were taking shots at Clinton for an affair he had had as governor with Jennifer Flowers. And the rhetoric coming from Ross Perot was especially critical of Bush and his running mate, Dan Quayle. Well, in the end, Clinton took 43% of the vote, Bush 37, and Perot 19. Nothing about the loss seemed fair to George Bush, who failed he'd run not only a good campaign, but also as president had led the country admirably. Well, it's tradition for outgoing presidents to leave a note for incoming presidents, a tradition that hasn't been followed of late. But when Bill Clinton walked into the Oval Office for the first time as president, there was a letter waiting for him from George Bush. And here's what it said. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. There will be tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. And I'm not a very good one to give you advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this. And I wish you and your family well. Your success now is our country's success, and I'm rooting hard for you. Grace is so easy to give and so powerful when it's received. Hillary Clinton says that the letter made her cry when she first read it, and she cried again when she heard Bush had passed away years later. Referring to the letter and the grace he showed, she said, That's the America we love. That's what we cherish and expect. Now, this leads to the first characteristic of people of grace. They don't insist on being right, but seek to make things right. They're willing to put themselves and their feelings aside to help others, even if others may not deserve their grace. This grace is thinking more of the other person than themselves. One author wrote, as I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting room one day, my eyes were drawn to a remarkable picture hanging on the wall of a statue of a man being sculpted. The sculpture was partially complete, and the finished work showed a statue of a very robust and muscular man with the kind of physique all men would like to have. And the striking thing about the picture, however, was that the artist had put the hammer and chisel in the hands of the man being sculpted. I was fascinated by the picture and wondered what the message was that the picture was trying to convey. Perhaps it was intended to be a picture of a self-made man. Well, as this author studied the picture, he began to think 
That is the way we think we make ourselves. The truth, however, is that none of us, few of us, make ourselves. Who we are is sculpted from the work, the hands, the talents of others, of those who came before us. It's by their grace that we are who we are today, which is another characteristic of a person of grace. They know by what means they have become who they have become and realize that it is within their power to give that same measure of grace to others. Now, many of you believe that it is by God's grace that you came thus far in your life. I do too. Now, perhaps you don't think that you deserve that grace, but I don't think God works that way. He is a divine being full of grace, and your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of His grace. He gives grace freely, and we can too. We can, without expectation of reciprocity, give grace freely to others. So let me ask you, on your team or in your family, what opportunities do you have to give grace? Or do you insist on being the recipient? Do you seek the credit or attention for whatever you've done? You see, often the grace we give is giving the credit and accolades and attention to others. And when we do this, most often no one sees it. It's often given by you in secret. And what you get in return for letting others have the accolades and attention and credit isn't something someone else will give to you. What you get is you become a different, better person. And soon, your character will be such that you will be naturally attractive. You will naturally lead with influence. How do I know this? Because I've seen leaders who give grace and do not seek their own. And over time, they become people of exceptional influence. I've also experienced the opposite in leaders, and their influence is diminished, which leads us to our next characteristic of people of grace. When they give grace, they don't expect anything in return. And it isn't that people of grace give lots of money or even lots of time. They simply give of themselves, of their own attention, they encourage, they think of what the other person needs and move in that direction. Now, I expect for you, there's someone in your life that is not your favorite person. Perhaps they haven't been kind to you in the past or have done something that you feel they shouldn't have done or was unfair. Can you think of who this is? Okay, now you've got them identified. As a person of grace, what could you do today to bless their life? A note, a text, a favor, maybe some of your time. You know, I find the latter the most difficult to give of your time. But remember, when you give of your time and other things, what you get in return is a better you. I have a friend named Chad Hymas. He is a remarkable man, and I've shared his story on Open Your Eyes before. Chad's a quadriplegic. Now, before his accident, which robbed him of his mobility, he was a healthy high school student. And in Chad's high school was a girl named Jenny. He said Jenny had a lovely smile and long, dark hair, but she had a number of visible disabilities. Jenny was blind, missing an arm, and her other arm and hand had limited functionality. When she ate, she had to wear a bib to protect her clothes, and she also needed to type out her words because she had difficulty speaking. Now, one night, Chad had his friends on the basketball team over to his house, and they were in the basement talking. In part of their conversation, they were making fun of Jenny 
And Chad, the captain of the team, was most vocal. And when Chad's father, who was listening in, heard it, he came into the room and said, I can't believe what I've heard for the last 20 minutes, but it's not your fault. I'm mostly disappointed in your captain. Actually, it's not even my son's fault. It's my fault. I raised him, and I owe you all an apology. And without saying another word, he left the room. Well, the next day, while the boys were having lunch in the cafeteria, Chad's dad, Kelly, showed up, and he told the boys to stand up and come with him, and they went over to Jenny. Kelly introduced himself and told her he wanted to ask her a few questions. Chad says he asked her four questions. Question number one, he said, who's your best friend? Jenny replied, my mother, Stacy. You see, she didn't have any other friends. Question two, what does your dad do for a living? Jenny said, I don't know who my dad is. Question three, how long have you been in a wheelchair? She answered, my whole life. Question four, what is it you dream of and love to do the most? She said, I like listening to the girls cheer at the basketball games. Well, the boys and others made a change. And soon Jenny was the captain of the cheerleading squad. She had a cheerleading outfit and her job was to call each and every one of the cheers the girls performed. And soon word got out what the school had done for Jenny, and she became the star of most basketball games. At lunchtime, Jenny had friends to sit with her. And when Chad shares this story, he doesn't focus on what the school or cheerleading squad or anyone else did. Instead, he focuses on his dad, Kelly. He speaks of his dad's grace. Yes, his dad wanted to teach those young men how to treat others, but his dad was driven out of love for Jenny to find a way to bring grace into her life. And he knew he needed to help make that happen. And he wanted these young men to experience giving grace. You see, people of grace do what is necessary to give grace. If it takes time, they do it. If it's inconvenient, they do it. If it's out of the ordinary, they do it. Recently, I heard this story. At a 20-year-old high school reunion, one of the graduates had a surprising conversation with one of her classmates, and it went something like this. I came to this reunion after all these years, hoping you would be here so I could thank you. My high school experience was really hard for me, and you may not have known it, but you were the only friend I had in high school, and I wondered if maybe the teacher had assigned you to be nice to me. Did he? No, he didn't assign me. Well, you didn't know it, but every day I looked for you because I knew that you would talk to me, and you made me feel better about myself. Now I'm married and have a large family, and during these past years, I thought many times of what you meant to me, and I wanted to tell you that. As you examine your team or workplace or circumstances, where can you practice being a person of grace? Because it does take practice, and with that practice, you'll slowly turn that part of you that seeks your own into a person who seeks to give, and this transformation will bring true joy into your life. Now, what are the other characteristics that people of grace possess? Well, they don't need to be heard. They're content to listen. And this is an interesting characteristic that people of grace possess. No doubt you, like me, have been part of team meetings or conversations in which you're tempted to speak to impress, or if not to impress, to be sure to guide things the way you want them to go. But sometimes, People of grace let other people speak. They let others lead 
they let others engage and benefit. And there's something about people of grace that's just content to wait for their time and let others have theirs. There is a certain discipline to grace. We sacrifice, we temper the need to give to ourselves, and the scripture says that people of grace make every effort holy. You know, I've pondered on this, and I believe that people of grace do make things holy when they're content to listen. And how do they make that effort holy? You see, when they sacrifice a bit of themselves, they christen, they make special, they make that sacrifice of themselves a bit sacred because it involves giving and it involves grace. And I believe they also become more holy. So to that end, I believe that to become a person of grace, we must put off our old selves and put on a new way of seeing and thinking. And this newness about ourselves will bring greater peace and joy into our life. Now, there are other characteristics that people of grace possess. They don't keep score. They forgive freely. And that means they forgive all people. They don't pick and choose to whom they'll extend grace. And they focus on the needs of others. But one characteristic stands out more than any other. People of grace look for ways to encourage others. In other words, they're seeking, looking for ways to encourage. On your next team meeting, Look for ways to encourage, either in the meeting or later via text or in person. Today, when you interact with your family, look for ways to encourage. It's so easy, but we don't always do it. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, I'm excited to see you doing this, or I think you'll make a huge difference. Or sending a quick text to say, you're remarkable, or good job, or wow, you did this well. And the truth is, that people of grace have incredible power. Every time they open their mouths, they have an opportunity to make an impact for good. And the funny thing is, as I've tried to be a person of grace, I've realized that I already think these positive things about other people, but for whatever reason, I don't verbalize them. And it's grace that drives you to say or write what you are already thinking. Remember, Encouragement's not advice or giving people feedback. It is simply encouragement. You know, just a few days ago, I attended church, and the speaker talked about the kind things that members in the congregation have done recently. And in doing so, he named names of people in the congregations and shared the examples of what they had done. And every time he mentioned a name, I noticed the person he was talking about sat a bit taller and had a smile on their face. What a gift we give when we notice and praise and encourage. You see, when you do become a person of grace, I believe you become an instrument in God's hands. You're doing what He can't do Himself. I believe that when we pray, God does answer our prayers, but that usually happens through another person. And it's often through a person of grace. Why? Because those people are listening, and they're used to giving grace to anyone even those who may not deserve it. You know, December 12th is Our Lady of Guadalupe Day. And this holiday honors the belief that Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's Mexico's patron saint, the Lady of Guadalupe, appeared to Juan Diego in Mexico City several times in 1531. And the spirit of this holiday is that Mary appeared to someone who was Mexican at the time in the history of Mexico 
in which Mexico was very poor. It means that she was aware of the poor, and she saw them fit for her attention and grace. That she would do miracles for those who were living in the margins of life, the poor, the needy, giving them dignity. And the holiday is a celebration that there is grace for the poor. It's a holiday of hope for those who live in the margins. You know what that means, right? In some religions, those who farm believe that you don't harvest the margins of your field. You harvest the inside of your field, but the outer edges you leave for the poor to harvest and keep for themselves. In Leviticus, God commands Israel not to reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, but leave them for the poor and the stranger. Now, some of you, like me, have lived in the margins, not just financially, but maybe doing so now emotionally or spiritually, discouraged, maybe afflicted by poor health or family struggles or just weary. So if you're in the margins right now in life, remember, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened in the past, you are a person of great worth. You are valued and important to your maker and to those around you. And your worth does not lie in the paralyzing past. Your worth is found in what you can do and the grace you can give in the future. And the interesting thing is this. The longer I live, the more I realize that we all live in the margins. And the funny thing is, if we treated everyone, despite their appearances, like they were living in the margins, we'd be right most of the time. You never know what other people are going through. So, as we end today, remember, give all the grace you can. Grace is so easy to extend, but so often withheld. Grace inspires, motivates, and encourages. And as you lead on the path in life, leave signs of encouragement and hope. Listen, freely give of your time. Try in your next team meeting or today in your family to give all the grace you can and watch you will become a person who influences because of who you are. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And be sure to join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.